an icon of the urban cowboy craze today on the Music Universe podcast. Oh, buddy, how are you doing? I'm not bad. How about yourself? Oh, I'm jazzed. What coronavirus? Yeah, right? I mean, we're staying busy. We don't even think about it. Well, not just that. I, I've been wanting this guy for years. For years. Yeah, and I've been calling the wrong person on it. And <laughs> I, I called you last night, and I said, buddy, I said, we're going to get him. I think it's going to happen tomorrow. I said, we've been doing all these together. You have a drummer you want to do, and that's Rich Redmond. I'll make you a deal. You do a drummer by yourself. You go be a drummer nerd, and let yeah. me nerd out over urban cowboy music with, with Mickey for half an hour. And... Uh, I got to talk to Mickey Gilly. And that was already Finally. on my mind to do it that way because I know how much you adore him and how much you really wanted him. So I'm like, you know what? You take that. I'll take this. But I'm telling you, I will fight you tooth and nail. I get Reba if we ever get her. <laughs> okay, but I get to send you some questions. All right? Fair enough. Now, before we throw to this, I want to set up because I kind of go a little inside baseball on this interview at a certain point, Mickey had in his Branson, Missouri show, he had the Mickey Gilly Theater for 20 some odd years uh, in Branson, performed for, you know, however many shows a week for during the season for those two decades. And he had a gentleman with him by the name of Joey Riley. And Joey was a multi talented steel player, fiddle player, um, steel player, fiddle player, multi instrumentalist comedian, funny as heck, rubber face, my favorite comedian in Branson, no doubt. Uh, my favorite, favorite comedian in Branson, no doubt. I just, I just adored him, and in, I don't know what year, and it's killing me that I can't remember, but in uh, sometime last decade, I think in the early part, early to mid last decade, Joey Riley lost uh, a battle with cancer. Uh, and uh, we talk a little bit about what Joey meant to Mickey, how he found Joey, because, man, what a talent he was. And, uh, of course, we touch on all the hits for Mickey Gilly, all of his hits. He, I mean, I say, so tell me about your process selecting songs. And he went and had like two or three sentences on each of his 17 number ones. Wow. Uh, yeah, 17 number ones, starting with Room Full of Roses, Window Up Above, just amazing, amazing music. He was a great... He is, excuse me, a great balladeer. What I meant to say is they were ahead of their time because he was a man who was emotional in his music and was not afraid to be emotional. A Southern right. gentleman who was not afraid to talk about it's either a headache tomorrow or a heartache tonight. I mean, we don't have that anymore in, in no, country. No, no, we don't. It, it's all uh, modernized, and uh, I kind of miss that about country. I do, and, and I know that... You know, 90s country, I think, is kind of the, is the peak. It's the perfect blend of that sort of bar band, beautiful ballad music, um, and uh, what's going on now. I think I think the 90s right. is where it crystallized. And the 80s was right where it was headed there with Urban Cowboy, which was shot mostly at Gillies in Pasadena, Texas, which is, which was Mickey Gillies' bar. So yeah. he was, he was a thrill to talk to. 84, sharp as attack. I just want to warn you, I think he connected via, he called me on a phone, but it cut out a couple of times. You, you get complete answers. It's not that bad, but his audio is crystal clear. So I'm not sure how he was calling in, but it cut out a couple of times. Um, uh, but uh, not so much that you, buddy, will have to clean it up. 
but just so much that our li- listeners may go, what? But you'll understand, and, and it kind of clears up about five or six minutes in. I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, this is an interview I have been waiting for for years, literally. Mickey Gilly, welcome to the show. How are you today, sir? Hey, Matt, I'm doing pretty good, and thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate that. Oh, well, it is a thrill. Thank you for agreeing to do it. You know, you've been touring, you've been performing, you've been recording for a lot of years. Have you ever seen anything like what we're facing right now? Well, I thought 9-11 was as bad as bad as you're going to get. I've never seen anything this bad since I've been in the music industry and the face of the earth. I've been here for 84 years, and I have never in my life seen anything like this before. And I'm hoping I'll never have to see it again. Absolutely. I think we all are. How are you coping? I know you had some road dates that you're back out there, some by yourself, some with Johnny Lee. What are you doing during this downtime? Well, you know, the problem was I was in uh, Laughlin, Nevada, and uh, it was on uh, like a, a, a Monday, and uh, we got to check in the rooms. We we're going to open Wednesday night, and uh, I got up Tuesday morning, went down for breakfast, all set and ready to go, you know, to do, get ready to do the shows. And I got a call from my agent said, uh, you can go home. Everything is canceled. And I never dreamed that we was going to, you know, be on standstill for the next couple of months. But uh, I'm back in Pasadena right now and uh, sort of in isolation. And I'm staying away from everything that because uh, at my age, I know if I happen to get the virus, I'm, uh, I'll be in the, in the ground. So I'm just trying to be as careful as I can and not be around too many different people. But I'm coping with it. I got 23 acres of land that I that I own in Pasadena and. Me and my sons, we got out here and we started working on the property. So I've, I've got a little enjoyment out of that. That's about where I'm at at the present time. Well, that's wonderful. I've been, Like I said at the top, I've been wanting to interview you about your whole career for a couple of years. So if you'll indulge me and head back to the beginning with me, how did it start? How did you come to love country music, become a piano player? Where did the musical journey start for you? Well, I started back when I was like 13 years old, uh, trying to get accustomed to the keyboard and the piano. On account of my first cousin, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, uh, was uh, into the music back when he was about seven years old. And I never dreamed that I would end up in the music industry at the time. But uh, we grew up together in Louisiana together, uh, me and Jimmy and Jerry. Jerry Lee, uh, of course, and uh, Reverend Jimmy Swaggart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the incredible thing about it is we all three had success in a different kind of music. And Jerry Lee is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, and Reverend Swaggart is one of the biggest, largest selling gospel uh, uh, performers and artists in the world. And I come along in 1974 uh, and happened to record, uh, 73 actually, I recorded a song called Room Full of Roses, mm-hmm. thinking it was going to be a throwaway song. And uh, after struggling for 17 years, lo and behold, I had my first number one national hit. And uh, I almost didn't record the song because I thought it sounded too much like my cousin Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> Every time I'd go in to make a record, somebody would say, what are you doing copying your cousin Jerry Lee? So when I started having a successful record, somebody said, Oh, you copying your cousin Jerry Lee, huh? And I said, no, I'm trying to be exactly like him. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. And Room Full of Roses was a B-side, wasn't it? It wasn't supposed to take off. Yes, the lady had the jukebox in Gillies, uh, the old nightclub Gillies in Pasadena, Texas. Uh, I had a, I acquired a little local TV show in the 71 after we opened the club up. <clears throat> and on the TV show, uh, I happened to do a song called She Caught Me Baby All Night Long. They were on in Howard tune. And uh, I walked in the club that night. She uh, calls me over and she says, hey, Gilly, today on your show, you did my favorite song. And I said, what was it? And she said, she called me. I said, yes, ma'am. That's a hard enough. I know I'm in the jukebox business and I want you to record it for me because that record's out of print. 
So lo and behold, I mean, about two months later, she calls me over again. She says, are you going to record that song for me? I'm putting on all the jukeboxes. I got 300 of them. You pass in in Houston. And it'll be good for you in the club. And uh, I went in the studio to record. She called me baby. And uh, we got the song laid down, you know, and uh, it sounded all right to me. And uh, the bass guitar player looked over at me and says, what you going to do for the B-side? And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, I hadn't even thought about this, you know, because I, I made a record now in about four years at the time. And uh, I thought for a second, I said, let's do the old song Room Full of Roses. And I said, we've never been playing that one. How's it go? So I played it for them on the piano. And they wrote a little chart on it and looked at it, you know, and they said, well, that's simple enough. Let's do it. And um, so I started into the, on the piano and I got about 35, 40 seconds into the song and I said, what'd you quit for? And I said, I think this song's going to sound too much like my cousin, Jerry Lewis. And he says, who cares? It's a B side. Nobody's ever going to hear it. And I said, <laughs> you know what? You're I never thought about it, you know? So I made the arpeggio on the piano, went into it, kicked it in, recorded it, you know, and I got lost in the song and, uh, I never will forget because when I did that little uh, walk down, on the record, and I said that's too many times, you know. And uh, he looked at me and he says, "Don't." He would tell me, "Don't change chords," you know. <laughs> and I was playing that little lick, lick because I had gotten the the melody had left me out of my mind because since I played by ear, and uh, uh, so I said, "Oh, you know, it's the B side. Nobody's ever going to pay any attention to it." And you know, it, it ended up being one of the selling parts of the song because that's the first time I'd ever played that lick before on the piano. I used to practice playing uh, and when I play the clubs that's where my practice sessions come in you know learn a song and then I would ad lib on the piano until I find, find the licks that I want to play in the, the tune and that's what happened on Room Full of Roses so I didn't think anything about it and uh, so when I released it uh, locally I'm thinking they're going to play She Called Me Baby all night long and the first guy I took it to he listened to both sides of the record and he says I kind of like that flower song I'm thinking <laughs> are you kidding me and he put it on and lo and behold you know it became my first number one well, I love that. And I'm just curious, you got to understand, just to tell you a little bit about why I'm a fan. I grew up watching videos from Branson. That's how I became aware of all of you guys in the Urban Cowboy era. And I just grew up loving the songs that you picked and that you worked on and that you recorded. How did you pick those songs going forward after Roomful of Roses? Uh, you had a lot of emotional songs. Was it was it hard to pick songs that really talked about emotional experiences? Uh, actually, um, when Roomful of Roses hit for me back in 1973-74, when it was released on national on the national scene, uh, the the guy that I was working with, uh, Eddie Kilroy, was uh, became the producer, mm -hmm. and uh, he asked me, he says, "Do you have anything summer?" I said. There's another old song, a flower song called "Overlooked an Orchid." He said, "Let me get the let me get the music. Let's see, if we can't uh, maybe make a run at that one too, you know." Mm -hmm. And so he picked uh, that one, and also he, he picked another song called "Big." Uh, I'm sending you a big bouquet of roses, the old Eddie Arnold tune. So uh, we uh, uh, we got an orchid and we cut it and uh, and. Hello. You there? In Nashville, recording, but sure enough, it went number one for me. And um, so he came back to me and he says, um, uh, any other tunes that you remember that, uh, you know, that you used to do? And I said, well, there's another song that I could probably do something similar to the way Jerry Lee did another place at the time. He said, what is it? I said, City Lights. Mm. And uh, and he said, uh, let me hear let me hear you do part of it, you know. So I kicked it in some of the way, you know, uh, one by one, they're turning out the lights. And, I, uh, you know, I, I started in... Uh, uh, city lights 
and uh, he liked it. He said, well, let's, let's make a run at that one, too. Got it recorded, and it became a number one single for me. Yeah. So some of those old songs you used to do in the club mm -hmm. that, you, uh, that you liked. I said, well, what am I used to do? I, I, I used a little uh, Floyd Kramer-type piano lick on it, you know. And uh, I said, it's the old George Jones classic song called The Wind Up Above. Mm -hmm. So I played it for him, and the guy in the I was recording it at uh, RCA Victor Studios there in Nashville, and uh, the, the the engineer he put a star by that song, and uh, so the producer said, "Why'd you put a star by it?" He says, "Cause that's a hit song," and I because I, I played the piano uh, the way I used it on the piano, and uh, sure enough, it, be it became a number one single for me, and uh, then we missed on a couple of tunes, and then I went back uh, to uh, a writer. That I admired very much in Nashville. They, they, they went under the name of Foster and Rice at the time, and they wrote, uh, uh, She's Pulling Me Back Again. Mm. And I heard it. And so I grabbed the song and I played it for the producer. He liked it. We went in, we, we recorded it. It became a number one single for me. And then I found another tune similar it called uh, Here Comes the Hurt. I thought it was a better song than uh, She's Pulling Me Back, but it didn't go number one. It, it made the top 10. And uh, so uh, then I started looking for something a little bit different. And uh, I happened to uh, come across the old song, Bring It On Home, which I one of the best records I made in the 70s. I sat at the piano and I rearranged the, the, the way we did it, you know, at the piano and uh, the arpeggio and the modulation and uh, shortened it up a little bit and had the girls doing it you know, behind it and the whole bit, you know. And um, it, I think it was the best record we made in, in, the, uh, in the 70s because 1976 and 77, the Academy of Country Music Award Show in Los Angeles gave me single and record of the year for that song. Yes. So I was very proud and happy with that idea that we, you know, we were able to put that together. And then, of course, along comes a couple more tunes that I tried to do that didn't quite make the grade. But then he found, found a song called uh, The Girls All Get Pretty Closing Time. And I said, wow. I, <laughs> I, I took that one out and I played with my friend Conway Twitty. And he says, don't you know that the ladies buy the most records, Gilly? And I said, okay, so what? You know, he says, well, think about it. You're putting them down, talking about them getting better looking at closing time. I said, but let me tell you something. My drinking buddies will love this song because it's a true story. <laughs> and it turned out to be the it turned out to be the most most played record that I ever made. Well, I love it. And you talked about the club in there. Oh, first of all, I want to talk about the ACM. You won, and I love this so much. You love you won Entertainer of the Year one year. I'm not sure off the top of my head which year that was. 76, 77. Uh, in fact, I got the awards here, but I can't I can't see without my glasses, so don't get, get me open and look for it again. 76 and 77, they gave me every award they had except the female vocalist award. <laughs> you know, and, and I just think it's amazing that you won on the strength of your ability to connect with an audience. You weren't a wild man. You just played really good piano, had great songs and great connections. Take me back to that win. What did that feel like, Entertainer of the Year? Uh, it was the most awesome uh, night in my life and my career. And the way the whole thing got started was because back when Roomful of Roses hit, uh, back in 1974, mm -hmm. we had booked Conway Twitty and, uh, to come down and play Gillies. And now I wasn't with uh, any kind of agency in Nashville. Uh, I had a number one song in the nation. And at the time, Conway had more number one songs than any man on the planet. I, I'm George Strait, I think, has got more now than anybody. But uh, at that time, in 74, Conway Twitty had more number one songs than any man on the planet. And Mickey Gillis got one number one song, Room Full of Roses. Mm -hmm. And he's coming down to play the club, but he hadn't put two and two together and figured out that Mickey and Gillis are one the same. <laughs> I get to open the show for him. I never met him. So I got on, I stepped up on the piano and I did my bit, you know, in the beginning, you know, I'm playing honky-tonk uh, club music. 
And when he hears, and he hears, he's in the dressing room, hears me do room full of roses. And the first thing he said to me when I walked off stage, you got an agent? And that's how my career got started because he had somebody come down and talk to him. Then we from United Talent. And I said, I cannot believe it. Conway Twitty took his time enough to have somebody come down and talk to Mickey Gillis. This is unbelievable. I mean, I was just, I, I was beside myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that Conway Loretta owned the agency. <laughs> so I'm thinking, wow, you know. And the next thing I knew, two weeks later, I, I'm opening the shows for Conway Twitty on the road. My dream had finally been because of Room Full of Roses. And, of course, you know, and then we was kept following with number one songs. And uh, I remember opening one show for Conway Twitty. And uh, there must have been five or 8,000 people out there in the audience. And uh, when they announced my name, about four or five people applauded. You know, you could, you could hear just very few people. You know, we want Conway. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, you know, they don't know who in the hell I am, you know. And but when, I, when I did Room Full of Roses, then the crowd applauded. And I'm thinking, that's it. They know the song, but they didn't know the guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, but they knew Conway Twitty, you know. So that was, uh, that's what the whole thing mattered to. I knew that I had to do something with my... Uh, 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 you know, my, my name value it would mean something to me. Well, now it does. I mean, Gillies is still a club in Texas. It's still a performance venue. I don't think it's uh, what it what it was in its glory days. If I'm being honest with you. Well, uh, the, the the club the club is no longer existent in Pasadena. It, right. it was destroyed by fire. But uh, mm-hmm. we have a club in uh, in Dallas. Yeah. It doesn't have it doesn't have the fan value that we had in Pasadena. We have two in Oklahoma. One in uh, Pocola, Oklahoma, and in. Uh, Durant, Oklahoma. We have the one that I really uh, enjoy going out visiting every now and then is Treasure Island in Las Vegas. You know, I ate there. Yeah. I ate there last time I was in Vegas. A great group. You have a great group of people out there. The atmosphere is great. But the original Gillies, of course, Urban Cowboy, that whole thing. Tell us about the club, the bull riding, and Urban Cowboy. I know you have some great stories there. Well, um, the thing about what happened was on that. Uh, when my business partner first put the mechanical bull in the club, I thought it was a mistake because, you know, it, it's a it's a rodeo training device. It wasn't ever meant to be in an entertainment establishment. Mm-hmm. And so when I came in and saw the bull in there, I, I, I went to him and I told him, I said, boy, you're making a big mistake. We're going to have some people get hurt on this thing. We're going to get sued out to the zoo on it, you know. And lo and behold, we did get sued. But uh, it, it was a bad call on my part because uh, we had this guy from New York came down. And he wrote an article for Esquire magazine mm-hmm. and called it the Battle of the Urban Cowboy. And I didn't like the article because it said, uh, you know, boy meets girl, twang, twang. Boy falls in love with girl, twang, twang. You know, and, uh, you know, uh, the guys go kind of partying, twang, twang, you know, the gillies, bang, twang, twang, the gilly rats, twang, twang. And I'm thinking, he's making fun of country music with this twang, twang bitch, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, I was upset about it. I'm going out to do, I, th- I think I was going out to do the, uh, uh, either Murph Griffin or the Mike Douglas show. I'm not with Murph Griffin. And uh, he was riding out with me to California. And uh, he and he says, I know you don't like that article in Esquire magazine, but don't say anything uh, bad about it because we may get a movie on it. And I said, what side of the bed you fall off on? I said, are you crazy? <laughs> he says, no, no, they're looking at John Travolta to play the part. And when he said John Travolta, all of a sudden it dawned on me, wait a minute, Urban Cowboy, Country Night Fever, Saturday Night Fever. And I'm thinking, if John Travolta does this film, it's going to give us some credibility, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when, when I when I go to sleep at night, I, when I wake up in the morning, I thank God for keeping me uh, safe overnight. And when I w- go to bed at night, I thank John Travolta for keeping my career alive. <laughs> <laughs> what was that first meeting with him like when you met him the first time, John Travolta? Well, it was him. awesome because we the things we had in common was at the time 
uh, I, I love flying. And uh, at that time, I had my, uh, my my ratings, and I was flying back and forth from uh, you know uh, around the country in an airplane. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I got to go flying with him, and he, and he was working on his uh, uh, his, his pilot license. So I got to I got to I got to go flying with him, and which uh, I enjoyed very much. And uh, uh, I got that one trip with him, which uh, I'll treasure a lifetime. You know, uh, I'm I'm not on a, on a basis of where that we correspond back and forth all the time, but uh, I, I did see him a couple of times after we did the film, and he's just a very nice guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and he, he's an unbelievable uh, talent as far when it comes to the, the role he played in the film, The Urban Cowboy. I think. Anybody else played the played the part, it wouldn't have had the impact that it had. No, it it worked because of him and because of you and because of the music uh, in there. And, of course, your song, uh, one of your big songs in the movie, Stand By Me, the Benny King tune that you really is the best version of Stand By Me that, that anybody, I think, has ever done is, is yours. You, you capture it perfectly. How did you come to... <laughs> arrange it that way what's the story I, I, there? i'll have to give the credit to to the producer that did the the, the song uh his name was Ben norman he is now a big wheel in nashville mm-hmm. and he produced uh, quite a few songs on me that uh, changed my life totally and um the songs that he picked uh was just unbelievable from mickey gilly he, he picked uh, stand by me to do put the soundtrack to film the urban cowboy did the arrangement on it and uh, I didn't uh, appreciate the fact of the time he put in to do the song. I had to later go back and apologize to him and tell him, you know, I needed him to work with me on my, my career. And sure enough, he picked songs like You Don't Know Me and That's All That Matters to Me, Headache Tomorrow, Heart Tonight, Flew For Your Love, Put Your Dreams Away. Uh, you know, all these tunes uh, that, that he picked became number one songs for me. We had a string of number ones right in a row. And it really changed my life because it opened up a lot more classier places for me to perform. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the first time with him, it opened up, uh, and and of course John Travolta, who was doing the film *The Urban Cowboy*. It opened up, uh, you know, uh, Vegas, Reno, Tahoe, Atlantic City. All the main showrooms opened up for me. I went, got to go to Europe. Uh, I came back. I worked for, I worked at the White House with two presidents: President Ronald Reagan, President George Bush Sr. Uh, they invited me to come out to Hollywood and gave me a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And um, then the scary part happened. They asked me if I wanted to come in and do some acting. <laughs> oh, man, you talking about scary? Now, that really nailed me to the wall because my first acting role was Lee Majors on The Fall Guy, and I was supposed to be scared and nervous, and I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's not acting. Then it's real. I mean, I, I, it was, I was scared. <laughs> oh, so, so I played the part pretty well, I guess. <laughs> yes, you did. Went on to do Murder, She Wrote, Fantasy Island. Did you enjoy Doing those, yeah, uh, I, 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 I had a great time doing those acting things, but they didn't pay much, you know. Yeah, and, and I'm not trying to hold the band together, and everything. So mm-hmm. I had to make up my mind: Do you want to try to act? You want to try acting, or you want to, you know, be a country music performer? So I chose country music. But uh, d- during the during the uh, uh, the murder she wrote, um, I, I use it in the show sometimes. I show a little clip, and when I'm doing the show, because I use video sometimes, when I'm doing the performance. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 when I grabbed Jimmy Dean by the collar and I started shaking him down, I said. Look there, I'm trying to shake the sausage out of Jimmy Dean. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I want to take a little bit of time here to talk about uh, how I came to know you, Branson, and your theater in Branson. I know it's now the Mickey Gilly uh, Shanghai uh, Chinese Acrobats Theater, but you started it in the 90s as the Mickey Gilly Theater. And um, I have to say, I had a chance once to meet Joey. Um, 
before he passed. And yeah. what a sweet soul just to take the time to do that. How did you come to start in Branson and how did you find Joey uh, while you were out there? Well, what happened was when I first went to Branson, Missouri, uh, I saw all of these different things happening in Branson. And I went to uh, some of the shows to see what they were doing that kept them there on the, uh, the schedule they were on, you know, and it was a tourist channel. I knew that. And usually it was about six months. And so I went to some of the main shows I went to was the ball knobbers and the Presidents mm-hmm. because they, they started everything off there in Branson and it became, uh, you know, a makeup for country music and the shows uh, on the strip, uh, on 76 country music Boulevard. And, uh, and I looked at seeing what they were doing and I knew that if I was going to survive that, uh, the the uh, the way things were doing going in Branson, Missouri, that I had to have more than just uh, some hit songs. Mm-hmm. I had to go out there, you know, and I had to do these songs. And I, you know, they come here, you you sing the hits, of course, you know, and I understand that. But they want to be entertained. So when I I, I found Joey when I went to 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 uh, interview this guy uh, that was wanted to do a morning show in my theater. Mm-hmm. His name was Jim Owen. He just passed away at seventy eight years old. Yes. And um, uh, Joey was playing guitar for him, still guitar and fiddle. And uh, I heard Joey do a joke. And uh, so I went to Jim and I said, I don't like stealing anybody's musicians or, or, you know, players, but I was looking for a still guitar player. And I asked him, I said, any chance that, uh, you know, that Joey might want to work the, the night shows with Nicky Gillis since you're doing morning shows. He said, well, talk to him. I said, is it okay? And he says, yeah. So I went to talk to Joey. And then, and I said, Joey, I heard you do that joke, you know. And I said, I need somebody to help me in my show, and I'm looking for somebody that can play steel, fiddle, and uh, and you know, and do a little comedy. And that's how we 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 teamed up. So then, doing this stuff, you know, I found out how good he was because a lot of stuff we did was ad lib. Yeah. And he was pretty quick, you know, and uh, uh, and I I deliberately, you know, throw punches at him every now and then to see what he would come up with. Sometimes it'd be funny, sometimes it wouldn't. If it was funny, we left it in. If it wasn't funny, we didn't, we didn't use it anymore. But we, we had a good time, you know. And uh, and we tried to make it look like it was off the top of our uh, head every time we did it, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, so we started taping the shows, and people really get – I mean, I watched people out there laughing so hard sometimes they were crying because Joey was just a funny guy. He was. And he had a lot of funny stories, you know, and he, he'd tell a lot of great great stories. And uh, one, one of my favorite ones was when he, he walked out one night and he says, Hey, Gilly. I wrote this country, I wrote this perfect country western song. I said, really? You know, and where we had living, I said, really? You know, well, maybe you ought to hear it, you know. So uh, he, he, he uh, you know, he says, he said, well, you ought to listen to it because you ain't had a hit in a while. And the <laughs> crowd went nuts, you know. So, I mean, it's just stuff like that, you know, off the top of you, you know. Because he, he asked me one time, he said, how, how far can I go? I says, if you got them laughing, Joey, you keep it going, you know. And a lot of people said, I can't believe he lets him get away with all this stuff, you know. But yeah. we were having a good time doing it. And uh, a lot of the things I've got on tape, and um, when he passed away, I made uh, some video up and sold them uh, uh, and gave all the money to, couldn't have any insurance. Right. And gave all the money to his wife. So, uh, um, and I got raked over the coal for doing that. They said, look, I was trying to make a money off of a dead friend, you know, that type of thing. I said, that's a BS, you know. Oh, absolutely. I knew what you I, I put I put up the money, to, I put up all the money to, uh, uh, to, to manufacture the thing, edited it. Uh, I did. I did all the costs, and I gave her the whole amount of money that came in on it, mm-hmm. every penny of it. So you, I commend you for that. And I knew what you were doing. I saw the thing on your yeah. Facebook page. I knew what you were doing. I knew it was for them. So you know, I'm sorry that some people misunderstood. Sorry about that. Now, 
with Branson. You were there for a while. You still do some dates there, but you're back. Uh, I, I was there for uh, over 25 years uh, yeah. total, and um, I, I'm in and out of there. Now. Johnny Lee and I, we, we're doing the Urban Cowboy Reunion Tour, and the way that came about was mm-hmm. uh, I sold a theater, and I dropped out. I was going to leave. Uh, I, I wasn't going to leave Branson because I had to carry the note on the theater. But I sold it to uh, some people, uh, and uh, I carried the note on it. And um, so I was going to not play any shows in Branson at all. And I get a call from Clay Cooper, who has a theater right down the street. I'm sure you know Clay, too, probably, if you're familiar with Branson. Yeah. So he, he calls me up, and he says, Mel Tillis is sick, and he wanted me to fill in the dates that he that Mel wasn't going to be able to, to make. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I told him, I said, I said, Clay, Mel Tillis is a big star. He said, well, you are, too. I said, Hey, I've been in Branson for all these years, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, uh, Mel just comes in every now and then. And I said, you know, he's a big act. He says, well, you're a big star, too. I said, I feel his shoes. He says, I wish you'd consider it. I said, wait a minute. I'll tell you what. Let me see if I can get my friend John Lee to do it with me. If I can get him to do it, we can call it the Urban Cowboy Reunion Tour. If it will work, we'll do it for you. And we did. And that's how the thing got started. And we, now with, this is about a third or fourth year since we've been doing it. And this is the last year, by the way, because it's a 40th year anniversary. Oh, wow. Yeah, you should try to get, uh, if it's the 40th year anniversary, you should uh, try to get uh, Travolta in. See what he can do. Have him come to the uh, Urban Cowboy I reunion tour. Yeah, he, he's not. I don't, that would be dynamite <laughs> if he would, but I, I can't afford him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I'm so glad you're back on the road. I want to end this by asking, truly, I know you've had some health issues uh, how are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Uh, how are you doing? I, I, I'm feeling fine. I, you know, I lost my ability to play piano, spinal cord injury. It took my hands away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took my, uh, um, my energy away from me, but, uh, uh, it's been 11 years now. I'm back to where I can walk halfway decent. I can't walk a long ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, and I can't stand up a long time, but I can sit on the stool and I can perform my music for the folks. Uh, I got a great, player by the name of Lee Hendricks and he plays a piano. Actually, he's a better keyboard player than Mickey Gilly, but uh, I, I don't tout that, but I mean, I just think he's awesome when it comes to playing the piano. And uh, so we try to make the music still sound as close as we can to our recordings. And uh, I got a seven piece band. I got two girl singers that uh, I call the Urbanettes, Urban Cowboy Band along with the Urbanettes. Mm-hmm. I've tried to do quality shows out there for the folks, you know. It's not about the money, it's about the music and uh, that's the way I've always felt about it. Uh, I'm not... I'm not setting the world on fire, but uh, I'm having a great time, and it's been a great ride. Not tired of the road. I mean, you said you are 84. Not tired of, uh, not tired of it. I I love that you're not. But I mean, you said you're not going to do the urban cowboy thing. Are you going to go off the road after this year, or are you going to keep going as long as you can? Well, I told the agency in Nashville that I wanted to end the urban cowboy reunion tour. Mm-hmm. I said, if you want to book me, Johnny Lee, I tell them together, we can still do some of the music, but I don't want it to be called the urban cowboy reunion tour because. I want to be on my own. I want Johnny Lee to be on his own. Mm-hmm. Right now, Johnny are, are, you know, we're sharing the stage together and uh, we're sharing the band and the whole bit. Mm-hmm. And we're paying all the expenses together. I said, I want to, I want to be a, an entity all on my own. I want Johnny to be an entity all of his own. Mm-hmm. Now, if he wants to hire the band to play behind him because they know all of his music, that's up to him and the band. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what that, my, my big goal is to separate us so that, uh, you know, we're not locked in to having to do the things together all the way. I, I love Johnny, and we're like brothers, but uh, it, it's time to call it an end, you know? I mean, everything has a beginning, everything has an ending, just like Gildy's did. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I wish you well, and I cannot believe, like I said, I've been trying to uh, have you on this program for a couple of years now, and I thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time at home, as we all are, with us uh, today. Thank you so much, Mr. Mickey Gilly. Well, Matt, I'm locked in and locked up and uh, locked out, so <laughs> I can't go anywhere. <laughs> but I appreciate being on the show with you, and uh, for all the country music fans out there, I hope they enjoy some of the music, and I uh, hope you enjoy some of the stories. Thank you, sir. You know, buddy, there there are people, when I started Talk for Two as a celebrity general entertainment podcast, which is my other show, that I've always wanted to talk to. And I said at the top, I've tried for years to get Mickey Gilly. I've always wanted to talk to him, and I believe in timing. And with this quarantine and, and everything else, he's just, it was just the perfect time to do it on this show. And I'm just so thrilled. So thank you for letting me uh, take the ball and run with that one. Yeah, absolutely, dude. You know, I, I enjoy uh, doing them, and uh, sometimes it's just better to let one person take it on. But I'll, I'll do every tandem one we possibly can. Absolutely. So, uh, and he's 84, spending time on his on his farm, really enjoying it, and uh, he said, uh, call him any time. So I, I'm hoping that when uh, this lifts, and if it's by summer, and he's back in Branson, doing some dates at this theater. I'm hoping I might go down and uh, visit with him because I think I need some good classic urban cowboy era country music when this is all over. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Something to take your mind off of being stuck at home. Absolutely. All right. Well, for the Music Universe podcast, I'm Matt. And I'm Buddy. Thanks for listening and keep checking out themusicuniverse.com. Music <laughs>